weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Well, a big thanks to the two Johnnies for the afternoon entertainment. It is Wednesday, October 25th. I'm Shane Dawson and you're listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, legendary Scottish football journalist Roddy Forsyth will be chatting to us about Celtic season so far under Brendan Rodgers as they prepare to welcome Atletico Madrid to Glasgow tonight. In rugby, current Samoa captain Michael Ala Alatoa will join us alongside Seni Neupu to discuss what new world rugby tournament structures really mean for lower-ranked international sides. Damien Lawler will round up all the latest Gaelic Games news. And we'll also hear from Tyler Toland as we continue our build-up to Ireland versus Albania this Friday in the UEFA Women's Nations League. As always, if you want to have your say, you can text us on 51552 or post a message on X, formerly Twitter, to Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Yes, hello there. Good evening, great to have your company on this Wednesday evening, wherever you are tuning in from. A couple of news headlines before we uh, cross to Roddy Forsyth and chat Celtic. Uh, starting with snooker. 21-year-old Aaron Hill from Cork is into the last 16 of the Northern Ireland Snooker Open after a comprehensive 4-0 victory over Dylan Emery at the Waterfront Hall in Belfast. Hill achieved his best ever result at the Wuhan Open earlier this month where he reached the quarterfinals and he has brought some of that form to Belfast to set up a meeting with either Matt Selt or Jack Lesowski. So very best look to Aaron Hill. Uh, in rugby, South Africa's Bongi Mbonambi is set to play in Saturday's night's World Cup final against New Zealand with the World Rugby investigation into his alleged racial abuse of England flanker Tom Curry unlikely to conclude before the game. Curry will start for England in the World Cup bronze final against Argentina on Friday night. Sticking with rugby, Lee Halfpenny has announced he is to retire from international duty with Wales following the team's exit from the Rugby World Cup. The fullback's last game for his country will be in next week's match against the Barbarians in Cardiff. Halfpenny's international retirement comes having won 101 caps and with 801 points scored. He is third in the all-time Welsh list behind Neil Jenkins and Stephen Jones, two great out-halves. Uh, in football, the Premier League has recommended a deduction of up to 12 points for Everton over alleged breaches of financial rules. That's according to a report in the Daily Telegraph newspaper. A 12-point reduction would leave Everton on minus five points in this season's league table. The club and the Premier League have not commented on the report. So, interesting times to see uh, if that goes ahead. Uh, we will be crossing to Roddy Forsyth um, in a couple of moments' time, but we're going to begin our Celtic conversation by hearing from the Celtic manager, Brendan Rodgers. As I mentioned earlier, Celtic, of course, welcoming Atletico Madrid to Celtic Park uh, this evening in the UEFA Champions League. So here is Celtic boss, Brendan Rodgers. Listen, you're always disappointed when you when you lose games, any game, and, and in particular at this level. Um but when when players are giving their best, you that's all you can ask. I think it's um, I think that the the Lazio game here was it's just a real indication of the level that, that you're at it, in in the Champions League. You know we uh, played very well in the game, performed well, and uh, but yet you uh, just one moment at the end of the game it costs you uh, the points. So uh, that's just a reminder of the level, but it, it doesn't stop you. You know, being persistent and, um, and and looking to fight, and, and that's what we expect here. You know, the the fans expect us to to fight, to run, in order to play quality football, and that's that's the style of the, this team and how we want to play. And uh, we will continue to do that. It's an elite level. You, it's a competitive field that we're we're playing in. But um, but I certainly think that 
I think for most here the last time the the players equally gave their all we're just playing against teams that with, with the greatest respect that were better than us and um, but this time I think over the course of the two performances first one we um, sadly were down to nine men but even then we showed our spirit and, and fight in that game and, and in the first half showed our quality in the second game like I said I thought we deserved to win the game but we ended up losing it so um, but uh, but like I say we the, the players will come in very motivated we know tomorrow the stadium will be on fire tomorrow night it will be an amazing atmosphere for us to, to be involved in and, uh, and I can't wait for them so that was Celtic manager Brendan Rodgers hoping to come a Celtic icon and speaking of icons iconic Scottish football journalist Roddy Forsyth joins us now Roddy thank you very much for taking the call uh, let us begin our conversation on Mr Rodgers so has he won over the doubters that were aghast at his second coming as Celtic manager given the uh, circumstances of his original departure well, just to remind people, um, Brendan Rogers saying yesterday that he's been motivated by a desire to win back affection from the Celtic fans who were unhappy that he left so abruptly for Leicester City at the end of his first spell in the east end of Glasgow. They unfurled a banner at the next game which read, You traded immortality for mediocrity, never a Celt, always a fraud they hinted and so he obviously has um, got some effort to make to win them back over there were some signs last Saturday or last weekend rather at Tynecastle that um, when they beat Hearts 4-1 and there was a Brendan Rodgers chant that perhaps he's beginning to make headway in that particular task but he's got a bit to go and it would be a significant uh, step if he were to remedy that by delivering Celtic's first Champions League group stage win in 10 years an astounding fact that isn't it that Mm. stat they need a, a victory urgently because if they take nothing from their back-to-back games against Atletico, who are favourite to win the group, they would go into their fifth, their fifth group game away to Lazio with no points, and that would be a pretty severe situation for a team and a manager who have hopes and have aspirations of making an impact at this level. How good have Celtic been this season so far? Like they're obviously searching for uh, a win in the Champions League for quite a long time. It's unbeaten in the league, sizable lead over Rangers, but it's it's all always very relative. Then when you when you step into the European stage, it is. And don't forget they were knocked out of the Scottish League Cup by Kilmarnock. That was a, a serious blow for them. It meant that the Celtic fans who assumed. Uh, that uh, another treble would be on the cards to follow the one won by uh, Ange Postecoglou. Suddenly they realised that uh, the only team that was likely to win a, a treble in, in Glasgow or Scotland was Rangers, although, as you correctly say, their, their own travails in the league have allowed Celtic to open up a seven-point lead. Uh, Celtic have looked more convincing to me than Rangers this season whenever I've watched them in, pre- in the flesh. Um, but I have to say that they're not quite as ro- rolling as um, as um, powerfully as they did under Ange last season when they won the treble. And it's one of the comments and uh, topics of discussion you get when you're talking to the fans that they, they don't feel certainly have yet re- reached that stage of close to invincibility when they were out on the pitch under Ange. There was a big ask for anybody coming in to take over from him and as we've seen of course he's managed to translate his own skills in that respect into the English Premier League but uh, certainly if Celtic were to make some kind of impact in the Champions League it looks to me unlikely that they can reach the next stage of the group but were that to happen and that would require them to do damage to Atletico Madrid home and away um, not necessarily win but at least uh, prevent Atletico winning then uh, certainly Brendan Rodgers um, his reputation amongst the support would increase again A lot of pressure to 
have a showing in Europe. Now, they are two defeats from two matches, but the caveat to that, I suppose, is they ended up with nine men away to Feyenoord. It took Lazio 95 minutes to find a winner in, in, in Parkhead. So, like, is it fair to say they've been unlucky so far in their group? You might say that. There would be some who would say they made their own bad luck by allowing that late goal by getting two men sent off. And uh, one talking point, uh, you, you're too young to remember this, I'm quite certain, <laughs> but uh, uh, the Atletico strip that the Spanish club is going to be wearing tomorrow night is a replica of one they wore in what is still a notorious European Cup semi-final tie in the memory of Celtic supporters. That was all the way back at Parkhead in 1974. It was a goalless draw, but three Atletico players were sent off and ten were booked. Uh, most of them for kicking Jimmy Johnson, who was uh, past the parcel uh, on that particular evening. It became a notorious evening, as I say. And uh, why Atletico have decided they should wear a replica of the strip that they did on that evening is anybody's guess. It has, as you will imagine, inevitably attracted um, criticism from the Celtic support and some of the pundits. But it indicates to me that they intend to make this an edgy evening and one that they obviously feel that they will prevail in. That's very unlike Diego Simeone, surely, to be, to be trying to get in, in the head of opponents. <laughs> yes, well, of course, um, as you know, Diego has sometimes been criticised for his managerial methods, um, but uh, he's a wily character, and I imagine that, as you correctly say there, his ambition or his aim in this particular tie is to mess with Celtic's heads, and, of course, it falls upon Brendan Rodgers to stop that from happening. Mm. The shame game. I'm right in saying that's it's still referred it to that match in, yes. in certain uh, circles. Right. I might have been around at 74, Roddy, but, you know, I can can do my research, I can flag it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but those fans who remember it talk very bitterly even to this day about it. Um, Although um, quite recently, uh, one of the Atletico players, when they knew that they were going to be playing in the group, one of the Atletico players who um, played in that game said it was was all Celtic diving. That was what caused all the problems because they didn't do anything their way like and we didn't kick them. So (laughs) this game obviously obviously rankles with uh, Atletico veterans as well as Celtic veterans. So there will be an edge this evening. And uh, one of the other aspects that you you might know about is that the Green Brigade Celtics Ultras Mm. are going to be distributing Palestinian flags to the spectators as they make their way into the ground tonight and they've asked them to wave them before the game. Celtic have said that they don't want this to happen because as you know you're not supposed to make political gestures at uh, European games but nonetheless the Green Brigade going again uh, head to head with the board so it's going to be uh, an evening where a lot off the ball and off the pitch is going to be spoken about. There is ongoing tensions between the board of management and the Green Brigade and and certain Mm. factions within um, the club now in the Brendan Rogers clip we heard as well. Well, there he talked about really kind of using that twelfth man and everything else in that famous Champions League atmosphere um, of a Tuesday or a Wednesday night in, in Celtic Park. Given the the tensions there, might that curtail any potential typical high octane atmosphere that we see of of a, of a Tuesday or Wednesday night at Celtic Park? I mean, those midweek um, games in, in Europe are absolutely um, loaded with atmosphere, no matter what the background is. It can sometimes be a little less uh, favourable to Celtic than they would like, but that's only if the if the le- if the group stage is running away from them. But a typical Celtic uh, midweek European evening, the place literally rocks. I'm surprised that the foundations don't give away some give away some evenings. So whether or not um, it's going to be flavoured with a mass display of Palestinian flags, whether there will be any banners directed at uh, Brendan I rather think not I would imagine
Association, knowing the Green Brigade and having watched them closely over a number of years, that they will, uh, if any banners uh, they will unveil will be a pro-Palestinian. I'm, I'm, I've have heard that that's likely, or the Celtics say they're going to stop them taking any such banners in. Failing that, it'll just be an anti-board message unless the board get to them before they get that one up as well. It's uh, yes, lively off the pitch at Celtic Park. You wonder where the real contest lies sometimes. Very much so. Well, it will be interesting to see how this evening goes. Celtic without a win in 11 home Champions League group games. Atletico in a run of six successive victories with just the 16 goals scored. So um, it should be uh, interesting. Um, Roddy, talk to me from an Irish perspective about Liam Scales. Is it surprising that he is playing such a, a prominent role in the starting 11 this season? Not to those who watched the side that played under Ange because uh, Liam made his made his mark there and if you could impress Ange Postecoglou then it was likely that that would be a legacy for Brendan Rodgers and that's what's duly happened. He's a steady young player. Um, he's impressive. Of course, uh, the centre-back positions were up for grabs to some degree this season because of injury, particularly Cameron Carter-Vickers, who's on his way back. But uh, I think uh, virtually everybody who's seen Liam Scales would say this is a young man who's going places and uh, I'll be very surprised if he doesn't. How good has he been and how good can he be? Like, what is his potential from what you've seen? He's tidy. That's what I like with a centre-back. He doesn't get alarmed. He, he, he holds his position. He keeps an eye on his, uh, his opponents. He's not easy to pull out of position. Um, and remember, he's not yet in a stable long-term partnership at the back. Um, but nonetheless, you have to say that when you look at him, this is a player you think, you're, you're here for years, or if you're not here for years, you'll be somewhere else that's uh, equally estimable mm. for years. And, unless, of course, injury plays its part, as it sometimes does with even the best players, as we know. Absolutely. Well, hopefully Liam Scales stays injury-free. Uh, another Ireland international, Mikey Johnson, mm. which is probably on the, the opposite end of, of the scale with it. Um, because Mikey actually had a very interesting interview after, I think it was Ireland-Gibraltar with um, Damien O'Mara of RT Sport. And he was kind of alluding to that O'Brendan was, was one of the reasons why he was kind of hoping to flourish at Celtic, that perhaps he didn't get his chance under Ange. But he, that hasn't been the case. He, he hasn't been getting a look in. Not yet. And it's difficult to walk into this uh, Celtic side. I mean, they are, they are, after all, seven points clear in the league currently. They are they are veterans of a treble win last season, a clean sweep of the Scottish honours. And for Mikey, the, the Gibraltar game, Ireland-Gibraltar, has been his only appearance this season. He was on loan to Victoria Guimaraes uh, last season when Ange was in charge. Ange couldn't find for a place, or wouldn't find a place for him inside. Prior to that, he'd looked promising. He had 20 apps in the season uh, apps I'm saying not uh, to, to do the front of your phone appearances sorry short form <laughs> there uh, he was at 20 appearances in the season prior his most recent first team appearance though was on March the 14th 2022 away to Dundee United in the Scottish Cup and of course then as we say Ange um, took over drove the team to a clean sweep but Mikey Johnson's name was not part of that so uh, of course he had injuries that was one of the problems that uh, uh, hindered him Injuries but are a problem that you just have to overcome at this level of football. It can be difficult, we know that. Um, and I would imagine that if he gets any chance at all under Brendan, he has to take it. He has to show that he's better than uh, the alternatives that are there. But Celtic are pretty strong outfield at the moment, so it's going to be a tough, tough job for him.
Yeah, they're they're pretty strong, and they have a lot of players. I think there was an article in the Scotsman, and Brendan Rodgers was was hinting at a possible January clear out of seven or or eight first team players because he feels they have too many players on the books, which is a bit of an unusual situation. Johnny Kenny's loan at Shamrock Rovers, of course, is up next month, which which doesn't bode too well for him. Perhaps is there a fear that that Mikey might see the exit door? Well, it might happen, but certainly Brendan is, is is in the habit, and he was in his first spell at Celtic Park. Uh, when the European scene doesn't go as well as he would like, he likes to talk up the January window and uh, suggest, perhaps for the attention of the players who are not getting a start and also for the board, um, who are um, keeping the doors to the financial safe, firmly locked at the moment. It's not that they don't spend, but say some Celtic fans feel they don't spend enough and certainly I would imagine Brendan feels he could use I know that he feels he can use a little extra or a lot extra if he can get it. So it's about now that he starts to signal, yes, January could be a big um, uh, time for us. We will be shopping in the market. We'll be getting rid of players who are not making their mark here. And that's meant, of course, to have its um, impact on those players. And so I'm quite certain that Mikey Johnson will be listening to that and thinking, I've got to get moving by January, otherwise I may be moving physically elsewhere. Well, it will be interesting to see what the future holds for Mikey Johnson, Johnny Kenny and indeed Liam Scales as well. Uh, for now, Roddy Forsyth, thank you very much uh, for taking the call. Celtic, of course, hosting Atletico Madrid in Celtic Park amid tensions between fans and the board of management. Um, sticking with soccer, we are continuing our build-up to Ireland, Albania and UEFA Women's Nations League, a match, of course, you can hear live commentary of uh, this Friday on an earlier-than-usual game on here on 2FM. Kickoff is at 5.45. And one of the players in the squad, Tyler Toland, is looking ahead and not in the past, uh, considering the uh, difficulties she's had recently with uh, Ireland. And she was speaking to our own Tony O'Donoghue. Tyler, we last spoke when you were player of the match. Uh, so to come back into the Irish fold, to play so well on, 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 your, uh, on your restart, as it were, um, it was like a dream come true, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it was a really positive camp. Obviously, two games from two, two wins. Um, I think it's just really important now that we keep um, working on that momentum, building on it, and keep pushing, keep picking up points um, in this Nations League. How did you find it from a, a physical point of view? I mean, was it a step up to international football? Um, I think when you come into international football, you have that adrenaline and you're playing for your country, you know, um, you're going to fight for everything. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just an incredible feeling to play for your country um, and you give it everything, really. But physically, you felt like the demands of the game were you were equal to it? Um, I think I've played international football before, so I know exactly what it's about. Um, you have to have your head screwed on, you have to be fully concentrated. Um, but yeah, no, I felt good, um, feeling confident, positive and ready to rock. Was it difficult to, to get into that game? I mean, it's been a while since you played with a lot of those players, or maybe never for some of them. Um, no, I think football's football. I think that's our job. Um, we come in, our head screwed on, fully focused um, at the task in hand, really. And we know what we have to do. And we did it last camp, and hopefully we're going to do it again this camp. Your, your story's been well told, but how disappointed were you not to be involved? Did you think, you know, from a, a playing point of view, that you didn't have a, enough going for you at the time? Or was it the injuries was an issue? Or was it Vera Poe was the issue? Look, as I say, um, last camp coming in, um, I was incredibly proud. And to be honest with you, I just want to keep focusing on the future and um, the games at hand this week and um, the next couple of months and seeing what we can achieve as a squad. No regrets, though, from your point of view that you, you possibly missed out on a World Cup? As I say, I just want to be positive, focus on the future um, and see what we can achieve as a nation. Looking at where you play in the team, do you think the sort of position that you play can facilitate the likes of Katie McCabe to... to 
get further forward and, and contribute more. We saw what you did last night for Arsenal. I think the competitiveness within the squad is huge and um, we have incredible talent. Um, so you have to fight and earn your spot every single camp you come in. Um, but I think the football we're playing now um, is really good. We're allowing our players to express themselves and as I say we have incredible talent so it's just about showcasing that and seeing what we can achieve as a squad. Tyler Tolan speaking to Tony O'Donoghue there as I mentioned Ireland versus Albania live on Game on 2FM this Friday and Albania versus Ireland live on Game on 2FM next Tuesday lots more to come on tonight's show though we will be chatting rugby in due course but standing by is Damien Lawler to bring us all the latest Gaelic games news so stay with us here on Game on 2FM Game on GAA now it is time to chat Gaelic games in the company of RTE Sport journalist Damien Lawler. Uh, Damien, let's just di- dive straight in. The last time you and I were chatting, we were speculating that Peter Keane was going to be the next Tipperary senior football manager. However, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. What's the story there? No, Shane. Uh, I think hopes were very high in Tipperary that uh, Peter Keane uh, would have taken over the team. He'd, he'd have been quite the catch now, to be honest about it. And uh, I think talks were, were fairly well progressed. Um, you know, the shape of a backroom team had emerged. And I think then late last week, <laughs> possibly as, as I was talking to you, maybe uh, things maybe changed, Shane. And it became apparent then maybe later that night, last Wednesday night, last Thursday night, um, last Wednesday and Thursday, that maybe it, it wasn't going to happen. And uh, I, I think as it transpired, there's been no official announcement from either party. But but Peter Keane won't be won't be won't be the next Tipperary football manager. And I think the question all along would have been, what a Peter to get out of it. Um, people were surprised maybe that that a, a guy like him would be taking the, the Tipperary uh, team maybe in Division Four, maybe with a lot of their golden generation gone, and the production lines haven't been quite maybe throwing out great talent uh, like it had been previously and that's possibly down to a, a dual player eradica- eradication in, in Tipperary whereby if you're 13, 14 you're, you're more than likely going to choose hurling and then maybe if you get jettisoned from the hurling at 19 well, maybe you haven't got enough work done in football to, to step over like they once had mm. so um, it leaves the county board in a, in a tricky spot leaves the, the football board in a tricky spot simply because he would have been a, a great catch and he, he would have had obviously considerable success with the Kerry Miners he would have brought the Kerry Seniors to an All-Ireland he's currently coaching Legion in Killarney and uh, it's not going to happen and I think you know the Tipperary Football Championship is over and I suppose the counties are going to be back training soon on the field if they're not back already in other areas and uh, Tipperary are, are looking for a successor to David Power still and David went in July and it's not that the, the board haven't been you know trying very hard to get somebody but trying to get somebody that fits all the criteria and a uh, names are, uh, you know are, are, are out there Shane um, be, be the, the talks of maybe a former select, selector of Wicklow Paul Kelly being involved maybe in a, in a possible setup going forward there's other names being mentioned as well uh, but certainly the Peter Keane chapter that never begun that's officially over now who are the other names, I suppose? Are there any, you mentioned Paul Kelly there, and also is there yeah. a concern it's taking a long time or is this classified as a long time? Yeah, uh, look, I mean, I, I think ideally the business would have been done some some time ago. Like, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly people have been sounded out about it. 
Um, you have to be realistic about it too. You're down to Tipperary and Waterford, Shane, that, that, are, that are managerless at the moment. And both of those teams are in Division 4. And Waterford, are, even though they came very close to beating Tipperary in the Talchon this year, Waterford is, are struggling to, to gain any kind of interest in the position. Um, you know, in terms of nominations, I don't think anybody was nominated. And there was a question maybe whether they feel the senior team going forward. Now, I believe they will. Um, and and they should too because football in that county is actually very strong in 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 a, in a couple of pockets. And um, as regards to Bray, Paul Kelly is probably the the, the, the favourite at the moment. Um, he's 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 probably pedigree is bringing Thomas Davis to a Dublin final. He 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 managed Nace for a period a short period of time. He was involved with uh, Oshin in, in in Wicklow as well last year, and his name has been mentioned. So uh, after that, Shane really. Uh, I, I'm not sure where we go. They'll want to try and appoint a manager as soon as possible. Manager will have to get a, a good backroom team together. Uh, maybe watch how Clonmel commercials fare in the Munster Championship. Hope that commercials have an extended run and try and give a bit of a boost to uh, to the county. Commercials had a great win over Nemo last year, but but got beaten then the next time out. So um, it's not that there are not good footballers in Tipperary, uh, but somebody like Peter Keane might have given guys something to think about. Uh, certainly a few guys still away travelling uh, a couple of injuries there as well and I think if you got a name like Peter Keane there you're probably going to commit maybe a bit easier than you would mm. but there's a there's a few loose ends to be tied up uh, you're, you're pushing into November now uh, so all is certainly not lost don't get me wrong but I think a, a new manager will want to hit the ground fairly quickly Shane and have a good backroom team assembled I think it's important then to have a, a local backroom team you know, apart from your right-hand man or woman, it's important to have mm. a local backroom team that that do know the structure and, and the setup as well. Well, speaking of local backroom team, now your, your fellow Tipperary men, the two Johnnies mentioned on air to me, you're a selector for the under-20 footballers yourself, Damien Lawler. So might you be throwing what? your hat in the ring or might you distance yourself from such scurrilous rumours? If I wasn't in this job, Shane, I'd, I'd be a lot closer to both my club in Killer One and, and to, the, to the setup down there in, in the football as well. Really enjoyed it, uh, but you know yourself, this, this job doesn't lend itself to, to that anymore. I've been involved with a couple of school teams here in Nace and a couple of the underage teams in Camogie, and, and that's enough. But um, yeah, look, the one thing I will say is, you know, around the areas of Clamell, like soccer and rugby are, are, are gone huge as well. Like, and, and it's not just hurling that Tipperary football has to contend with now. Mm. Um, you know, but, but certainly from the age of 13, 14, you're, you're kind of pointed in a direction now where you nearly pick one or one or the other. And uh, a lot of the young lads in Tipperary will pick hurling automatically. And that's, that's, entirely understandable, but they won't all make it. Uh, I still think the county's big enough to have a good uh, football team and a good hurling team across all codes. Okay, so stepping away from Tipperary, um, one management team appointment, that is a done deal. Kevin McLaughlin joins Tony McEntee's Sligo management team. Is that yeah. a bit of a shrewd move? Very much so. Uh, so, Tony McEntee is a good manager. Um, you got got Sligo moving during the last couple of years again and would have lost uh, Colin McFadden, who's gone back to Jim McGuinness, his brother-in-law, uh, gone back as a coach with Donegal, and you can't blame Colin for doing that. It, it meant that the Sligo were at a bit of a loss, and I think that they're after moving very quickly. It's only two months since Kevin McLaughlin retired from inter-county football. Um, you know, he gave a decade and a half with the team. He would have played maybe 168 times, I think, if memory serves me right, for, for Mayo. He would have brought them maybe to help to lead them to six All-Ireland finals. Um, and I tell you, he has seen 
everything that the game has to throw at him, really. And I think he'll be be very much tuned into modern ways. Uh, he'll have plenty of experience. He knows Tony McEntee from, from when McEntee was a selector with Stephen Rochford uh, from their time in Mayo. So that's a good link built up. And he's going straight from one area of inter-county football to another. Um, so he didn't waste any time, Kevin. But fair play to him. It's a good move from Sligo's behalf as well. And as, as I say, he'll be right at the cutting edge. And I think it's good experience for Kevin and it's good uh, for Sligo to have him. So it's, it's shrewd from Tony McEntee. OK, we'll be interested to see how that one works out. Um, come here, a story on the RT Sport website that you had, Damien. Kildare playing home National Football League games at Crow Park next year is now yeah. looking likely. What is the story? Two stories on Kildare that I've done this week, Shane. And uh, If you wouldn't mind, let me talk about both. The first one you've just mentioned. Uh, so St. Conlitz Park in, in Newbridge is being redeveloped currently at a cost of £17.5 it's out of commission for a while. It hopefully will be ready by the county final stage of 2024. Um, in the past week, the Kildare Senior Football Final was held down in Netwatch Cullen Park between Nace and Selbridge. Uh, Kildare played championship home games this summer in Tullamore and Nolan Park. And with that in mind, it now seems very likely, in fact, a GEA source this morning told me it's uh, very much, very much in the, the framework that Kildare will play some, if not all, of their home league games in Crow Park next year. Now, that's a good boost to the county because they'll be looking for gate revenue, uh, gate receipts. Um, you know, there'll probably be a good chance of getting a nice share in Crow Park. Uh, it looks like they'll form part of the doubleheader with the Dublin footballers, Shane. And it looks like those games will be on a Saturday evening. And I suppose, okay, areas further down south in the county, like maybe Castle Lermont, it's a nice spin into Crow Park, all right. But still, any family with young kids taking away the cost element, they'll want to bring their young kids into Crow Park too. So it does make sense while the, the ground in Newbridge is being redeveloped. And that'll be a lovely little ground when it's when it's redeveloped. It's a lovely compact feel to it. Um, and then, Shane, the other story, if you'll permit me mm. to talk about it, is uh, Johnny Doyle. Um, Johnny Doyle won an intermediate title with, with his club, Allenwood. Uh, he won a Kildare intermediate title last Sunday. Got man of the match, played midfield, 45 years of age, scored three points. And um, I went over to Allenwood to meet Johnny for an interview on Monday morning. Uh, I think I did a three-minute gap between him arriving, going into the school with the cup, and then be pulled into Glennon's pub with the rest of his team for the, for, the remainder, for the remainder of the day. But it's amazing what you can cook up in three minutes, Shane. And... Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, basically, I sat down with him, and you know, he, he lit up my morning. Anyway, it was a dour all Monday morning, and uh, you know, he just kind of said, like, I, I kind of said, what, what is the secret to your longevity? And he goes to me, well, look at me clearly. I don't do any weights. Uh, I said, but you must mind yourself, like in terms of stretching and stuff like that. And he said, yeah, no great diet or anything. He'll have a Mars bar or a, a can of Coke, like the best of them. Well, but he just admitted to having good genes, so. Uh, that's very old school that's very old school yeah and I started I started trying to rub off his arms in, in the hope <laughs> that I might get a, a few of those myself uh, but to be honest with you there was sky and navy blue flags all over the village the school kids were absolutely going bananas when they saw the team arriving um, it had been 20 years almost 19 years since he won his last county title he he led Allenwood uh, as a key player to the 2004 senior football title that they're back intermediate now but Johnny was making the point that 
for a small club like theirs to be battling against the towns like the likes of Anasis or a Newbridge or you know where, where there's two clubs it's a phenomenal achievement for Allenwood uh, and then really the, the thing that really got me was uh, as he was walking away like his, his teammates literally beckoned to him to get out of my car and get into the school <laughs> I just couldn't get over how, how young they were and, and like obviously at 45 Johnny's going to be the elder statesman but but like their kids, early twenties, most of them, and I just kind of said to him, "How how do you connect with them? Like you know, I mean, you 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 know, he has played with their fathers, like for example, and um, he just said it's very 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 easy, slagging. Um, he slags them off and they slag him off, and it it seems to work. And uh, they won by a point, forty five years of age, middle of the field, not a pick on him, motoring up and down. It's just a fantastic story, Shane. It's indicative of what's out there with the club championships as well." Absolutely, yeah, because there's a couple of other stories of that kind of longevity. I know Porrick Mahoney's only recently stepped away from Waterford. We had him on the show yesterday. He's um, flying yeah. high with, with Bally Gunner as well. Alan Kernan, Aaron Kernan, I should say, as well. Like, it is good to see these lads oh, fly with yeah. the club. Well, I mean, Aaron Kernan, like, I mean, he's, to me, he's in the same shape now as he was when he retired maybe nearly 10 years ago. And mm. for him to win his 18 county title, that's just phenomenal. Like, I mean, for, okay, they had a, a long, long period of dominance. Uh, in the last few years, then uh, even though the one last, uh, in the last few years, it looked like other teams had stepped up to challenge them. I've seen, you know, situations like, uh, yeah, I, I suppose Bally Mac down in Waterford with the ladies footballers, where they're probably going to win maybe fourteen in a row. Uh, you've seen that where there's no real challengers there, but certainly in Armagh football, like, and you know, there's Drum and T are coming stronger underage, and you've you've got a, always got the likes of Clonmel there pushing hard. That's just phenomenal what Aaron has done, and. It comes back to really what Johnny has. A love of club and a love of the game. And you have to have both to stay going. And I mean, like Aaron's got a young family and he's busy, busy with his, with his work. Uh, he's an auctioneer, owns, owns the Kernan and property company. Uh, Johnny's got a young family. He's busy with work as well. And he's in with Kildare. So it's a it's testament to their passion for what they brought up. But then again, you don't have to go back too far from the family tree to see where they get it from either. I mean, Johnny's dad was midfield as a player. He was club treasurer. He was club chairperson. You look at Aaron's dad, Joe Kernan. So like, it's probably as natural as having, you know, breakfast and dinner in a household for those people to just go back and play football. But but still, there's no masking the, the effort and commitment that's involved. And uh, we, we covered Cross Midlands game last year uh, on RT television uh, and, mm. and they got beaten. And Aaron was just devastated afterwards, you know, absolutely devastated. And for a guy who's been there, done that, worn a T-shirt, just to see how much they, they wear it still. And do you know what? I think they have the right idea. While you are at that level and you have got that conditioning, just go for it as long as you possibly can because there's no substitute for playing anyway. And being on the sidelines is great now. And it does get you involved. It gets you in the bubble. But nothing like playing, really. So they may as well stick, stick at it when they're as good as they are. Absolutely, and it was great to see them still lining out uh, for the club. Damien Lawler, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much uh, for taking the call. Lots more to come here on Game On, so stick with us here on 2FM. Game On. Rugby. Now, yesterday we heard World Rugby has approved plans to set up a new international league competition as part of a radical shake-up of the global calendar. 
Michael Corkin was on the show explaining the biannual tournament is set to be launched in 2026 and will be made up of two divisions of 12 teams with promotion and relegation commencing from 2030. Matches will be staged in the July and November international windows in addition to a competition that has been tentatively named the Nations Cup World Rugby's Council has given the go-ahead to the expansion of the World Cup to 24 teams in time for Australia 2027. Now I am delighted to say that Samoa captain and Leinster rugby we start Michael Ala Alatoa is standing by um, to have a, a wide ranging discussion on this. Now, before we begin our conversation, we actually can hear from Alan Gilpin, who is CEO of World Rugby, speaking about these new structure changes. Look, again, I think it's all about compromise. It's all about understanding, you know, what each different stakeholder in the game is 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 holding on to and perceived to be giving up to to create these opportunities. And again, it might seem like a long time away. It's not in in the in the scheme of uh, the amount of time. Again, 16 years ago, these conversations started, and here we are finally landing the first part of this. So, you know, promotion relegation from 2030 taking effect in 2032 is certainly better than the alternative, which is not to have that competition at all. And again, those that were pushing for this not to happen, as has been referenced, weren't putting forward alternatives that that were credible. Um, I think what we'd say to the the teams. Portugal, Chile, others that have, that have had fantastic tournaments here is this competition structure from 2026 will provide them with guaranteed certain schedules, particularly against their peers, actually the types of teams they need to be playing against in July and November on an annual basis. In addition, the package that's agreed today provides for more crossover fixtures, what we used to call tier one and tier two fixtures in the years when this championship isn't being played than is currently the case. So 50% more guaranteed crossover fixtures in those other years than is currently the case, in addition to guaranteed fixtures against their peers that they don't currently have. And it isn't just about those opportunities to play against the teams that are ranked higher. As Bill said, if you're Samoa or you're USA or you're Portugal, other than your current regional competition, you have no guaranteed fixtures next year or in 2025 or in 2026. These competition models start to guarantee July fixtures, November fixtures with real meaning scheduled in advance and then in the years in between the opportunity to be part of those crossover fixtures so you know again is it perfect probably not is it a hell of a lot better than the current situation absolutely so as I said Michael Ala Alatoa joins us now um Michael firstly thank you very much uh, for taking the call if we could begin by just getting your reaction to that so it's it's better than the current situation it's better than nothing in your view, is that good enough? Hello, for love, Shane. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to come on and, and speak on this tonight. Uh, well, it, it sounds all good in theory, but I can't help but um, feel that it's still favoured towards uh, your teams, like the rugby championship teams, Six Nations teams, or um, if you want to call them the Tier 1 teams, uh, especially the, the way it's structured with the 12 the 12 teams that will play in that top tier, the 12 that are below. And um, from, from what I can see and, and how I feel on it, it's, it's, uh, it may sound good in theory in terms of uh, being better to give us more structure around our games, but um, what those games look like, are, are we are we actually going to get uh, genuine opportunities to play against tier one teams? And, and what tier one teams are we going to get to play against? Uh, is, we need more clarity on. Is it fair to say there's a frustration then from the the lower ranked teams? I suppose. 
Oh, for sure. Uh, because, I mean, just looking at the way that it's structured, you can't help but, but see that uh, the 10 teams that are in there are the, the Six Nations, in the, in the top tier are the, the Six Nations teams plus the rugby championship teams. And then the last two spots are, are there to, uh, for promotion and relegation. But again, um, the, the, way, the, the way that the articles are, are being read now uh, are potentially going to be for, for Fiji and Japan. And, you know, there's, there's other teams besides Fiji and Japan that performed and shown what they can do at the World Cup. And when they're given a chance, when they're given a good lead-in with um, adequate preparation time. Uh, so, yeah, it's frustrating to, to have to wait till 2030 for, like, I know, I know that Alan's saying that, um, you know, it's, it's a better than what's in place at the moment, but, and, and it doesn't seem that far away, but 2030 seems like a long time for, for any teams that, that are in that bottom tier that want to uh, potentially get up into that top one. And, um, and then they, they don't have other opportunities besides the World Cup to, to do that as well. Is it disheartening when you think about it? I mean, 2030 is so far away. You're almost losing a generation of players. Yeah, well, you are. And, and, and I can't help but be biased towards uh, the, the team that I'm a part of, Manu Samoa. And, you know, although we didn't get to, to beat um, these tier one teams like Argentina and England, like we, we definitely showed what we can do uh, when we're given that chance. And, and especially in that England game, uh, to be to come one point away from from, from a draw or to, to beat the likes of England, um, you know, it's, it's no surprise that that came right at the end of our campaign in our fourth match, like our best performance of the World Cup uh, because we had adequate build-up to it. And um, that's what happens when you get to play teams like Argentina, England, even the likes of Japan, um, to these, these, top, these top nations in the world. Um, and, like... The only opportunities that we have to play uh, in in most years are against our our brothers, which are our Fijian brothers, our Tongan brothers, uh, in our Pacific nations, and and like we're we're so used to playing against these teams, and and I, and I feel like I speak on behalf of of all the Pacific nations teams that we we all want the same opportunity to play against these T1 teams to show what we can do to to get used to playing at that high level, so that we can get used to being put under that, that pressure and, and so we know how to deal with it because because this, the games are so far and wide between, we don't have that exposure to, to be able to do it, um, to be able to deal with that pressure. So we'll, we'll play one good game and then maybe not play as well the next time. But if if this um, global this global calendar is structured in a way to help us play these T1 games more regularly, then we'll have that exposure. We'll have... Um, that pressure put on us where we can we can learn to adapt and adjust. When we talk about respect towards all of the nations that are playing rugby, like I'm always, is it is it disrespectful? Do you feel to to refer to tier two nations or like is is that a comment that would annoy you? It, it, it does annoy me uh, a little bit, but at the same time, it's it's the reality of of where we're at, um, and but then a lot of it. I would say is not put on us ourselves. It's just the way things are structured around us. Like um, um, from from the from the from those that are higher up. Um, so, or like it, tier two can mean um, our funding, like the funding that we we generate for ourselves and the funding that's provided to us by World Rugby or or whoever else. 
Uh, so that that kind of uh, puts us in that in that category. But um, yeah, it is frustrating from a respect standpoint in terms of the on-field stuff because you, you see you've seen teams like Fiji go and beat England at Twickenham and and many other teams that are in that tier two bracket um, challenge the tier one team. So yeah, it is disrespectful. You mentioned your experience of playing the world at the World Cup and coming up against these, I suppose, higher-ranked nations. What is the main difference between perceived Tier 1 and, and Tier 2 nations? Like, is, is it just playing time, exposure to better players, or at its core? Like, what do the likes of uh, Samoa have to do to, to reach their full potential? Play more together and play against Tier 1 teams. That's, that's, my, that's my belief. And... Uh, Every time we, because the way the way it's structured at the moment for us, we only get opportunities to play in November, and then in July. And every time we get together, it's a big reset. And all unlike the likes of Ireland, England, uh, even Australia, New Zealand, where all their players are playing in one country, all of our players come from all over the world, and then we're only given a couple of days to prepare for a test match and try and get on the same page. So, although we're all Samoan, we have to. Um, that cultural identity that binds us um, from a rugby perspective we we play French styles we play Japanese styles we play New Zealand style we play UK style and trying to put all that together with that limited time is, is tough and then, the only, and then the, the, the only way to put that that game under pressure is by playing meaningful games against against um, tough teams and the way it is at the moment it, those, those tough teams and those tough games are few and far between which is frustrating. It, it seems as well that like there's a perceived reluctance, I suppose, for for these higher-ranked nations, the, the Tier 1 nations, to tour the Pacific Islands because it's not as lucrative as, as touring South Africa, New Zealand, Australia and, and, and places like that. It's, it, that must be some bit of, of frustration in terms of it's the men in suits making these decisions for world rugby. It is frustrating. And, um, you know, you look at... Uh, and I know I'm speaking on behalf of Pacific Islanders, but you look at how much Pacific Island rugby has given to to rugby all over the world. You know, you've got guys representing their countries, so they're representing Samoa, Fiji, Tonga, but they're also representing England, they're representing Ireland, they're representing New Zealand, Australia. So there's so Pacific Island rugby is prominent in all rugby, not just not just in the for the Pacific Island nations. So at least that these tier one teams could do is is take a game to, to Samoa, take a game to the to, Tonga, to Fiji. Like like it doesn't have to be every year, but it could be once every every two years. And I know some teams have have made it out there in the past. Like I, I know the last time uh, a tier one team came to Samoa was in 2017. So I think it was Wales. Uh, but 2017 that was, that's a long time ago now, and it'll be. And I know what it will do for for our people having having the likes of a tier one team coming to to Samoa to play. It'll it'll lift the nation as a whole and 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 create such a buzz because rugby means so much to to our people as it does in in all Pacific Island rugby. It strikes me, even from chatting to you, that there's nearly a sense of kind of what if, like what if what what are the the, the limits if we did have more preparation time? So like. What was the overriding emotion coming away from the World Cup for, for yourself personally? Um, 
I, I was proud of what what we put out there, but it was a bit of frustration um, knowing that uh, there were there were games that were we could have won uh, that we should have won, but we didn't. And the frustration comes from the fact that um, the whole build up to this World Cup, we we only had two games against T1 nations. So we had a game against Italy last year, November, and then against Ireland uh, right before the World Cup. And two games at that level is, is not enough, uh, I believe, to, to adequately, adequately prepare for the, the pinnacle competition of, of our sport. Um, so it was frustrating in the sense that um, we were able to get to a point where our performance was at a level that was really good in that last game, but it only came with the last game. And that's and for me, that's no surprise, given that um, everything that's gone before it in terms of our preparation time, the time that we've had together, um, we don't we never get that time uh, in any other year. Um, and we never get that exposure to to playing the top teams in the world as well. And by that fourth game, we'll battle hard and we'll, we're able to to play the way that we wanted to play because we're used to playing at that that higher intensity. But um, when you when the games are so far and far and wide between, it's it's hard to get that to, to simulate that intensity. And that links in then with with the launch of this new annual expanded. Pacific Nations Cup competition in 2024 featuring Canada, Fiji, Japan, Tonga, USA and, and your own Samoa. Is that welcome news or is that a further blow that, that it's more kind of just keeping all you guys together? <clears throat> it's, it's only welcome news if, if we still have that opportunity on top of that to play against these, these tier one teams and I know he's talked about potential crossover games but just knowing what that actually looks like for for us um, especially in those years where um, in those biannually that competition is going to be run so in those other years Mm. what those T1 teams uh, what those T1 games are going to look like for us and how many we'll actually get so uh, you need you you do need a regional competition to um, to build to to build the interest within our own region and there's those games against Samoa, sorry, those games against Fiji, Tonga, those those are games that us as Samoans look forward to every year. But um, when they're the only games that you have to play that are meaningful, that's that's what makes it hard. So having those big games against the T1 nations in and around that would would bring more purpose to to those games as well. well it certainly will be interesting to see how this one pans out, and hopefully there is. Um, a balance struck, I suppose, for for for, for world rugby. Um, listen, Michael. Before uh, we do go, I know you're you're back training with Leinster. You have your your pro- provincial cap on. Um, now, how much yeah. are you chomping at the bit to, to get back out there with the guys? Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so I'm back available for selection this weekend. So um, ho- hopefully, get the nod to play with the boys. You know, they've with the World Cup on. They've had a long preseason, and you know we. The boys went down last week, um, so we're looking to bounce back really well in front of our home fans and and play the way that we know we can. And and there's a lot of young guys in the team that I'm looking forward to playing with uh, for the first time. So yeah, really excited. 
It certainly should be very interesting to see how it pans out uh, this coming season. Listen, Michael Ala Alatoa, really appreciate you taking the call. So thank you so much uh, for your insight on that. Shine, that is all we have time for. Just before we do go, Team News is in for Champions League. We were talking about Celtic at the top of the show, so we will end with Celtic. Liam Scales starts for Brendan Rodgers' side. So good news from an Irish perspective. Mikey Johnson is on the bench, so he might see some game time in the Champions League if he does um, get the call off the bench Joe Hart Alistair Johnson Cameron Carter Vickers Liam Scales uh, Greg Taylor Callum McGregor captains aside Matt O'Reilly Rio Hatate Dazen Maeda Luis Palma and Kyogo uh, is the starting 11 that is all we have time for a massive thank you to Damien O'Mara who produced uh, this evening's show Game On is back from 6 o'clock tomorrow Better Da Silva is up next so stay tuned at 2FM but from all of the Game On team it is bye for now